be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, not defensive, inexplicably gracious. So often we're so focused on our own needs and our own situation. You know, some of what we do as a church, by helping to support the Rosenbrocks in their ministry, we free them from some of the distractions of focusing on our own needs that we can focus and consider the people around us. And that, that, that's really in, in one manner or fashion what, what all of us need to be doing, considering the needs of others. How we talk to one another about others is one of the ways that this graciousness plays out. You know, I think about... Um, Oftentimes, you'll, you'll hear situations. You'll have something happen to you. And we'll talk about it among our friends. We'll talk about it where it's safe. And we'll talk about how we were wronged and, and how we were hurt. And, and we sort of nurture the wound along a little bit. We hold it out and, and sort of admire it and, and cuddle it or coddle it a little bit. And uh, what if instead we prayed for those who hurt us? What if we instead... Um, prayed for how we could show compassion. And in the moment, you don't want to. Compassion is not first when you've been hurt or wounded. That's not the first response that we have. But what if we, in trying to step into this, be graciously, inexplicably different? What Peter says, what if we were to pray for those who have hurt us and injured us? What about the person that comes to you talking about somebody? What about that Facebook rant that you see about how somebody's been wronged? What if... Instead, our reply was, I'm sorry you've experienced that. Rather than going along with them, rather than feeding it, what if our response was instead, hey, let's pray. Let's pray for how God will protect you in the midst of that. And as well, how God might give you a chance to show Jesus in the midst of that. You know, we can be inexplicably different because God has our back. That's the answer to the why. What we're supposed to do be gracious anyway. How can we do that? Why can we do that? We can be inexplicably different, unexplainably different, because God has us. God will take care of us. That's why Peter now quotes from Psalm, from Psalm 34. He says, this is what you were called. Bless, be a blessing to others. You were called for that, that you might obtain the blessing. You might obtain the blessing of being a blessing. You might obtain the blessing of being more like Christ to them, for them, for, and he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his own tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, even when others have done evil to you. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, granted, it's not always with you. Paul tells us, um, as much as is with you, pursue peace with all men. It's not always with us, but as much as is on our side, that's what we can do. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes His ears, rather, are open to their prayer. God is watching over you. God is watching out for you. God hears your needs and knows them. We can trust ourselves to God. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God will take care of that in his own time. We don't need to. It's interesting, this Psalm 34, you know the setting of it? The background of a psalm and what else is there often fills out. Why was this quoted here? Psalm 34 was written, it says in the superscription, when David fled from Saul, and he, uh, the, the press by King Saul, King Saul is hunting him. God has anointed David to be the next king of Israel, and Saul is hunting after him, trying to preserve his own kingship. 
David's not going to take that from him, but Saul is seeking to preserve himself, and he sees David as, as a threat and his enemy. He's pursuing him, and the press has come so strong throughout the land that David ends up fleeing out of Israel into the territory of the Philistines. Now, on his way in fleeing from Saul, he stops off and he picks up some, some provisions from the priest. He doesn't have any weapons, he doesn't have any food, he doesn't have anything, so he gets some bread, and he also gets the sword of Goliath, whom he had killed earlier. He gets the sword of Goliath. That's his weapon, okay? And he carries the sword of Goliath, as David, into the land of the Philistines. He winds up being brought before the king of the Philistines, and the king's advisor is saying, do you know who this is? Do you know who we've got here? This is David. This is da-. They say, oh yeah, Saul has killed his thousands. Yeah, Saul's our enemy, but David has killed his ten thousands. David is a real threat to us, and here he is right in front of him. And David's got the, Saul of, or the sword of, of Goliath strapped onto his hip. That's kind of a vulnerable position. You know what David does, how David gets out of this? He pretends that he's lost his mind. He allows the drool to dribble down his beard. He humbles himself. In the midst of the opposition of others and the danger of others, David is not afraid to be humbled. He's not afraid to be ridiculed. Now, maybe that's not the best. I'm not suggesting you go to work on Monday or you go to school on Monday and pretend to have lost your mind. The good news is they already think you've lost your mind if you're a Christian. So you don't have to fake that and you don't need to drool. Okay, those things can just be off the table. But David isn't afraid of being humbled because he knows God has his back. Okay, God has him. If God's going to make him king, he doesn't need to worry about acting kingly before the Philistines. God will do that in his own time. It's fascinating. It's fascinating how Psalm 34 closes. Let's put those verses up on the screen here. Many, these, are the, these are the closing verses of Psalm 34. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him, now it's singular now, out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. Now it's plural. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. In the midst of this psalm about how God will take care of you and I, there's a singular person that's brought into view. And that, that line, particularly about his bones, we know who that one person is being talked about is because that verse is later quoted concerning Jesus on the cross. When even though it was normal at the end of the crucifixion to break their bones to make sure that they died. They didn't do that with Jesus. Not one of his bones was broken. And this psalm is the psalm that is quoted. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the righteous one, even Jesus. And yet God delivered him out of them all. Jesus stepped into the worst of it for us. And remember some of his last words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's where you and I rest. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to try to preserve my honor before others because God has me. The Lord delivers him out of all of them. He's done it already in Jesus. He will preserve me. I can trust in him even as Jesus did and even as Jesus who thought it not something to be clung to, to 
his equality with God, but he emptied himself, took the form of a man. And becoming in the form of a man, he, 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 took the, he, he became obedient, even obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, what? God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. I can humble myself because, as Peter will later say towards the end of this book, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't need to guard ourselves. I can extend. I can be vulnerable. I can, like InterVarsity's example, I can look out for others and seek to serve in them even though they would seek to harm me. I can do that because God has my back. God has our back. He will keep us. So we, we can be graciously and inexplicably different. We can be because God has us. And therefore, that being different will be our opportunity to tell where that hope comes from. If we will be different, because we know why, we may get the opportunity to tell the why to others. And this is where we both show and tell. Look at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are eager or zealous for what is good? That ought to be the way that it is. And that's sort of a normal situation. You do good, who's going to be against that? And yet they will anyway. Hmm, that tells you there's something wrong. That tells you there's bigger things at play here. There's a spiritual battle behind the opposition that you face. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make an answer. It says make a defense there, but it's, 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 it's an answer. To give a reason. To give a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this not argumentatively, but do this with gentleness and respect. Can you respect those who would belittle you? They're not being respectful, and yet we can still respect. Still, there is the image of God. Even though fallen, even though broken, there is the image of God in every person, and that we can respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, you you. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You get into the fight, and you, and you throw the mud back, and now you've got, for instance, in that example that was given, the Rosenbrocks talked about, somebody was assaulted, so her sister was going to go back and assault back and get revenge, and she's going to return evil for evil, and what's going to happen? She's also going to suffer for the evil. And her children are going to suffer as well. Rather... If we're going to suffer, it's better to suffer for doing good, and God will take care of that. There's a blessing in suffering for righteousness. Our end goal as Christians is not the American dream. I know you won't hear that in some pulpits, but our end goal is not the American dream. Our end goal is to know Christ. Peter, or rather, Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.10, that I might know him and to know his resurrection, to join in his sufferings, to be conformed to his death so that I might know him, that he might lift me up, that there I might taste of his glorious resurrection as well. Our Lord Jesus said it this way, this is eternal life. This is what it's all about, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 
and we'll know Christ. Not only in his glory, we will know Christ and we will know the heart of God when we know something of his sufferings. So Paul says in Colossians 1.24, I am, I am happy then to fill up in my own body what is still needed in the Christ kind of sufferings for the sake of his body, the church. I'm willing, I'm happy to suffer for others because even there I know something of what it was that Jesus did for me. There is blessing even in suffering. Be ready for opposition. Be ready, expect it, but don't be intimidated. It says, don't be intimidated. Do not fear them. Don't make yourself a martyr or a victim. This is your opportunity. This is where we can show something of Jesus. We don't need to elevate ourselves by elevating the injustice and drawing attention to the persecution. This is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me and for them. Maybe our most important witness is not to the actively antagonist antagonistic, but to those who are apathetic. I'll talk more about that at the end, but, but there are those that simply don't care, and yet they might see something in the midst of, of uh, others standing against us. Answer their hurtful. He says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Answer their hurtful with your hopeful. See how I did that with the H's? Isn't that clever? Answer their hurtful with your hopeful. It doesn't make sense, and there is the opportunity. The unfair is your opportunity for grace to be seen. If they're nice to you and you're nice back, Peter says, big deal. Everybody does that. But when they're harmful to you, and yet you're kind and gracious back, that doesn't make sense. Why do you do that? That's why University Christian Fellowship is having such an impact today because they, in the midst of the antagonism, that has been their opportunity and they have jumped in with both feet. A word to retirees here. You retired. You were in the work, the work-a-day world and you, and you would be in the midst of it. There were times when you, when you um, received uh, comments and innuendos and slights against your faith and now you're free. Now you're retired. Now you can withdraw to the monastery. And now you don't have to be around those awful people who ridicule your faith anymore. Will, where will you go that people can take shots at you where you can be gracious in return? Don't hide. No. Where will you go that you can have some of that? Where is your opportunity to, to, to extend yourself in inexplicable graciousness to others? Be ready to answer why. He says, be ready, be prepared to give an answer, a reasoned response for the hope that is in you. Why? When somebody else comes along, somebody antagonizes you, you reply in a way that you, 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 or you respond to them graciously anyway. And that doesn't make sense to somebody else who's over on the side. It doesn't really care. wasn't even a part of it. But they're watching that and they're saying, why are you? Why? Why didn't you go after them? Why didn't you, you know, attack back? Why don't you... There's all kinds of whys you didn't this or that. Instead, you were gracious. Instead, you still look out for them. Instead, you still speak well of them to others. Why? And there's the opportunity to give an answer. They're asking questions. Wouldn't it be nice if you came to work Tuesday? I say Tuesday because I always say Monday. Wouldn't it be nice if you came to work on Tuesday and somebody said, listen, could you tell me something about what you believe about Jesus? Wouldn't that be nice? But that would be weird, wouldn't it? They don't seem to do that. 
Actually, they do. When they're asking you, why didn't you respond in kind, that's what they're asking you. They're asking you to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. I want to be so full of hope in my Jesus that when people poke me, it's him that leaks out. It is my hope in him that is the response. That's what what leaks out when people squeeze me, when I'm under pressure. I said that our most important witness might not be to those who are actively antagonistic, but rather to those who are passively apathetic. You know why a lot of people don't go to church? Because church just isn't for them. They're not against you. They simply don't care. To them, church is like tennis. How many of you watch tennis on TV? Not very many. A few of you do, but most of us don't, and most of us would never even consider it. Tennis is on, I go right on by. Why? Because it's not that I hate tennis. I am not against tennis. I'm not against tennis is okay, but it's for you. It's not for me, all right? Tennis is for tennis people. Church is for church people. It's just not for me. What I'm describing here is one of the ways to help people that just don't see why this would ever be for me, help them to see why Jesus matters and where Jesus matters in the midst of broken lives. I came across another article that caught my attention this week, and this one described a list of of ways for how to relate to people who are just apathetic about faith. These aren't the people that are antagonistic to you, but these are the people you might be responding to. These are the people you might be giving an answer to. First of all, pray for them. Pray for them quietly on your own and watch for God to work. Watch. That's part of being ready. Watching. So that when a question comes, you realize what kind of question that it is. Offer to pray for people in the midst of troubles. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that again. Build relationships with no strings attached. People don't want to be your project or mine. They don't want to know that he's after me. He has me in me size. He wants to get me to come to church with him. They don't want to be your project. Be, uh, be their friend anyway. If they were to ask you, why do you care about me? Why do you seem to want to be my friend? If they were to ask you, that's an awkward question. It's probably not going to come out quite that way. But if somebody were to ask you, why do you want to be my friend? Why do you want me to be your friend? What would you say? What is it about them? Would it be, well, because, you know, I haven't haven't shared Christ with somebody in a while, and so I'm trying to earn that with you. Oh, great. I'm your project. No, no. Do we care for them anyway? What is it about them that makes them matter? God made these people. God made them in his own image. There's something about them because of that, if we'll, if, if we'll take the time to consider it, that's really where our interest in others is, or we would withdraw. God put something in us to care about something in them because they and we are made in the image of God. Overcoming apathy doesn't happen overnight. It may take years. There are people that you have been praying for for decades. Play the long game. Live with integrity. Little things matter. Live well in God's sight, and then you're not worried about what other people might see. 
but that they do see. Other people do notice, and that difference is another reason that they might ask you for the hope that is within you. Talk about life. What if they think you're irrelevant to them because your life is perfect? They know theirs is not. They know all the stuff they've got, that even though they don't tell you about, but if their perception of you, because you do a really good job, and I do a great job of, of trying to keep all my stuff tucked away, nicely hidden, so that out there everybody sees we got it all together. Well, we're irrelevant to people that don't. What if I am willing to be a little vulnerable, a little transparent, and sharing the difficulties, the struggles that I also have and wrestle with? Now, I'm, 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 I'm trying to unpack exactly how to do that. and It's, 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 it's not my strength. I'm not a... Uh, I'm not going too far. We're going to get too vulnerable, too authentic here, and that's just... But, but we, easily, we easily are perceived, and you don't realize how perceived you are by the people around you that you have it all together. There's a peacefulness about you that comes with hope in Christ that they think you have it all together even when the world's falling apart. And that peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But in the midst, if, if give people glimpses into real life and what actually is going on, and they will, they will see your faith in the midst of that all the more. That's my point. Be available. Make time. Most people who come to Jesus as adults, they come to faith in the midst of some sort of trauma, some kind of crisis. Something has gone wrong. The bottom is dropping out and they don't know where to go. And this is where we need to have taken the time to notice, taken the time to care, stop to listen. Not necessarily to have the answers and the solutions, but to listen and to care. And there's the time that said, would it be all right if I pray for you? It may be a moment where you could pray for them right then a short brief prayer. It may be that I'll pray for you. And then you come back in a few days' time and I've been praying for you. What happened? How, how, how are things? Not what happened exactly you're asking for a report, but how are things? What's going on? Just checking back in that reminds them that you have been praying for them. And so the faithfulness to pray, the taking the time, the being available so that people don't reach out to a church typically when they're hurting they reach out to a friend. And if the friend is part of a church, there's a church connection. And that might bring them into a whole family that will care for them as I want this church to be and as this church often is. And yet, you're first. You're on the front lines there. And it, it, uh, in the in the push, push, busy, busy world and pace that we find ourselves in, it's slowing down to see the eyes, to take the time to notice and to be available. Our hope in Christ, this is kind of the sum of it, our hope in Christ frees us. It frees us to extend grace toward others, inexplicable grace. It's unexplainable because we're not looking out for ourselves. We don't need to look out for ourselves. Why we don't need to look out for ourselves is because God has us. God will take care of us. He already has. And that gives us the opportunity then to tell about that hope to others, even if it doesn't. Even if they don't ask, even if they don't care, even if they don't get it, our being inexplicably gracious toward others, you know what that does? That gives glory to God. 
That glorifies him. That shows off what God is like, whether anybody else seems to notice or not. Because at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not even about others. It's all about him. But I think, I think God has us here in this place, in this community today, because others need to see his grace through us. Let's pray for that. Father, do that. Lord, do that in the midst of this church's life. Do that in the midst of our witness, in the midst of how we participate with with Prairie High School, in the midst of how we participate with neighbors, uh, the community around the church, in the midst of how each one of us uh, in life, at work, in school, in homes, among our neighbors, uh, our friends, our own extended families, Father, would you use us to be instruments of your grace? Lord, even aside from the eternal difference that is made through forgiveness, that is in Jesus Christ. Beside all of that, Lord, broken people all around us simply hunger for a refreshing drink of water of your grace. People hunger for how humanity ought to be, and that is best seen in the graciousness that we can be because of Jesus. Lord, would you use us for that? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.